fans from 20,000 leagues into the 80s, this is the podcast that celebrates the best of the most radical decade in history. The movies, the games, the TV, the toys, and more from the 1980s. We're your hosts. I'm Ben. And I'm Chris. And this is 80s High. Welcome back to the mic, Chris. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, There's a lot of 80s in the air right now. Yes. In between recording our last episode and recording this one, Weird, the Al Yankovic story released on Roku channel. Ben, did you get a chance to watch Weird? I, I really did. I got to watch it on Roku channel. I'm so glad I did. It was a lot of fun. It's so ridiculous. And I have to say, if we hadn't done our episode at the end of season two, I don't know if I would have appreciated the ridiculousness of his made-up life story. Yeah. Unless I knew his real life story from doing our episode in season two. So I thought that was so much fun. It added a lot to the the laughter and enjoyment of that movie. It was so good. It's so good. It's so fun. There's so many cameos. It's free on Roku channel, so you don't really mm. have an excuse to do it. But there's two things I want to say about it real fast. I feel like yeah. we could do a whole episode about the movie. Sure. But it's sort of like a biopic, how a Weird Al song is a biopic. Like Exactly. It's hard to say it. Like, the movie is a pun. Like, it's all a tongue-in-cheek story. It's basically kind of a parody of a biopic. If his songs are yes. parodies of other songs, this is a parody of what a biopic is. It's a, And they kind of lean into it. You know, he even has like a little forward where he addresses you as the audience. It's a little tongue in cheek. And so, yeah, it's there's a little bit of truth to it, but it's mostly just ridiculous exaggeration, which I love so, so much. Well, and with that exaggeration, the other part I thought was so awesome about Weird is like it brings back the comedy of like the naked gun and airplane Mm. and like hot shots. Like there's slapstick comedy that keeps upping the ridiculousness. Sight gags. There's like a little bit of sight gags. So many sight gags. But somehow it's modernized. Like it's still that 80s comedy, but it's modernized. It was so funny. It was really, really good. So that's the first one. What's your next one? My other homeroom thing is also a musical topic that occurred between our last episode and this episode. Finally, officially, Neil Giraldo and Pat Benatar have now been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It happened. She's been nominated before, but the reason she never accepted it is because her partner, both in life and in music, would not be able to come along. So once again, Pat did it on her own terms. And so (laughs) it's great to see that it finally happened. There was no intermediary thing where they were like, so Pat, by the way, and she had to be like shoulder shimmying backwards (laughs) out of the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like, hell no, boys, not happening. I need all of you to know, since this is an audio podcast and not a visual, that Chris has an amazing seated backwards shimmy uh, on camera. How can you not shoulder shimmy in Benatar style? What do we call that? Patitude. You got to have the patitude when you talk about her. Listeners, if you're wondering why we're so excited about these two topics and you're new to the podcast, you can go back to season one, episode 11 to listen to our Pat Benatar episode or season Mm. two, episode 18 to learn about Weird Al Yankovic. Chris, 
I think you had one other thing for homeroom. I do, and it's going to be a third reference to an episode we've done before because- Oh my gosh, we're so we're so self-promoters. I think it's between when we record this and when this episode releases, A Christmas Story Christmas oh, will start yeah, yeah, streaming. Yeah. So of course, we talked about A Christmas Story back in season two. I don't know if you're able to pull up the exact episode for reference, Ben, but we talked about that classic from the 80s. And all of the not great sequels that came out of it, well, now we're getting an actual sequel with Ralphie, the original, the one, the only, Peter Billingsley coming back to reprise his role, but as adult Ralphie. I'm so excited about this. I can't wait to check it out. November 17th, I believe it's streaming on HBO Max. Yeah, that would have been season two, episode eight. And I will say, Chris and I got very excited because Peter Billingsley on Instagram liked our post about A Christmas Story a little while ago. Yes, that's true. However, you know, we know a lot has gone on with social media this fall. And who knows if it's actually Peter Billingsley since nothing is verified anymore. (laughs) It could just be a bot in Lithuania. No one knows. I I feel like you got that in right before... All of the chaos ensued, so I feel feel pretty certain it is the Peter Billingsley, but right now it is up for grabs as to who you're talking to. It could be anybody. Oh my Um, goodness. But that being said, we have a fascinating story on this episode to dive into. Uh, Oh, here it goes, folks. Here it is. Shall we head on down to history class and get into it? Let's snorkel on down to Snorkland (laughs) with the snorks. But I think that was an exact quote from the script from one of the movie episodes. <laughs> My God. All right, let's do oh, it. Man. All right, see you there. All right, Chris, we're here in history class, and I'm so sorry. What have I done? <laughs> what, what, what have I done? I'll say this much. I'll say this much. This is nothing about snorks. It's about the availability of this particular show which is to say it's not and so i think the only thing about this topic that was challenging is we couldn't watch a lot of it to be able to you know to get a sense and so i think we have some good information to piece together we still have a good show but chemistry is going to be a little bit of an interesting conversation. I think that you've, you've committed no crimes here. There are I no tried. crimes on the high seas that you or the low seas that you have uh, perpetrated <laughs> on us. So I tried to do the right thing, and for '80s high, pick something that people had forgotten they loved from the '80s and bring it back. But after two weeks of research. Everyone has forgotten about this show. Or they never even knew about it. Never even knew about likely. it. More likely. Yeah. And so not only was it impossible to like watch a full episode at all, but to also just find information on the internet. And the, the yes. silver lining to this story, and you know, we, you know we're, we're, we're a couple of sarcastic gentlemen. We're a couple of sarcastic podcasters. Sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. Are we telling the truth or are we, being, are, we, are, we just, are we just making it up? I, in all sincerity, think what you and I are about to create here together is the most comprehensive history (laughs) and analysis of the snorks ever conducted. And I really mean that. I really do. Are we going to become the authority on this particular 80s property? In absolute honesty, yes. Unless you're an executive (laughs) producer from Hanna-Barbera. Or was it? Or was an artist on this show? We are yeah. about to spit the most knowledge ever put out about the Snorks. All right. I mean, let's not delay. What is the origin story of this particular cartoon? Let's do it. Where did Snorks come from? And more importantly, is there a reason everyone compares this show to the Smurfs? 
So Snorks was an animated television series produced by Hanna-Barbera and ran for a total of four seasons. Uh, So that's 65 episodes total on NBC. And it first aired September 15th, 1984 Mm. to May 13th, 1989. And after it was over, it kind of, or in its later years, it was syndicated as part of the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera and its third season that it went on. As I mentioned, executive produced by William Hanna and Joseph Barbera and Chris, this is a little bit of a red flag. It had 11 different directors in its four-season run and four slightly different theme songs, although I couldn't find a version of each of the theme songs. I think that having different directors on television shows is not uncommon. So even some of like the best television shows do not have the same directors. So that, to me, is not a real red flag for television. 11. I'll say that much. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, so I kind of teed up that it was a show, do you want to try and take a stab at explaining who the Snorks were? What are the Snorks? So the Snorks are these underwater creatures. They're described as being about the size of a human thumb. Oh, even smaller than I realized. That's Yeah, me too. That's what the initial intro talks about, which I so want to get into, but we're, we're getting ahead. They are these like anthropomorphic sea creatures. Gosh, what would you... It's almost, do you remember um, sea monkeys? Like the little things that you would grow <laughs> and, in the And what the container. cartoon looked like on the box? Yeah. Yeah, for I sure. I feel like it's almost like that, but they have this like antenna or... Picture the part of a straw that sticks out of a soda cup. That's popping out is. of the middle of their head. <laughs> out of the middle of their head. And it kind of acts as a nose as well as a propeller. So it's a way yeah. that they can zip around and it's articulated so it can move in different directions. But it's also, there's a lot of sneezing gags that you get out of this show, as far as I can tell. Yeah, of course. And so they had this society of Snorkland and, you know, most of the episodes, not too dissimilarly from any other cartoon of the time, is you have this gang of friends and antics ensue and there's a cast of evil characters and villains who are trying to take over Snorkland. They're sort of, they have very vague reasons for what they want to do and... (laughs) You know, you just have this, like, varied cast of characters, and each episode they get into some kind of adventure. So, you know, it's pretty standard. Which is always compelling storytelling drama to have a vague reason to cause mischief and ne'er-do-welling. I mean, I guess it's just for power and control, I suppose, or for reasons, but yeah. (laughs) Right, right. I Okay, so that was perfect, and you made a great reference. One cannot talk about the Snorks. Without talking about the Smurfs, if you're even remotely familiar with the Snorks, you're probably thinking, oh, it's the underwater ripoff of Smurfs. And here, look, I'm not here to judge that statement. You know, they always say, don't throw rocks in mushroom houses. I'm not going to do that. However, there's a reason they're so closely tied. And so I think Mm. we do need to start with the Smurfs before we can get into the Snorks. I think that's essential. 100%. Let's start with the artist, the genius behind it. So Pierre Culliford was born on June 25th, 1928. He actually passed away about 30 years ago uh, and was a Belgian comics writer and an artist who worked under the pseudonym Peyo. So he was working on a comic called Johan and Peewit, which is sort of a medieval Europe sword and sorcery sort of comic. And the heroes, these two guys, uh, in 1958 in the comic, encountered these little blue fantasy creatures in the forest that he called Smurfs. And people reacted so strongly, like in a positive way, they liked the Smurfs more than the heroes, Johan and Peewit, that um, just a year later, he started doing a, a comic strip just about the Smurfs. It kind of reminds me of the Tracy Allman show. People love the Simpsons bit so much it became yeah. its own show, right? Yeah, yeah. right, 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 right. 
So this comic strip was published in uh, Spiru magazine, but I'm going to call this chapter Trouble in Mushroom Kingdom. Mm. So I'm going to jump ahead about 19 years, 1977. There's this guy named Freddy Monikendam. So I'm just going to call him Freddy for the episode because his, his first name's so much easier. Yep. So he's a he's a Belgian businessman and he's an artist and he's he sort of got this like diversified portfolio of investments and he likes kind of brokering deals. That's kind of like his hobby. He likes just like connecting the dots for people and getting yeah. his cut in between of brokering that deal. For sure. And so he negotiated the rights in 1977 for the Smurfs comics to Father Abraham. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where it all just gets weirder and weirder and more complicated. And this is why you probably haven't heard the history of the Snorks before. Now, I know most of you are saying, yeah, of course, Father Abraham. We go way back. But for those few of you who don't know who Father Abraham was in Belgium in the 1970s, let me tell you about it. So, Petrus Antonius Laurentius Pierre Kartner was born mm. on April 11th, 1953 in Amsterdam and uh, worked in a chocolate factory growing up, which is kind of interesting. I mean, it's Belgium, so I get it. Yeah, I get Okay, yeah, that's a good point. It's either that or, you know, diamonds. It's like, those are the two <laughs> industries in Belgium, right? So he was a musician, singer-songwriter, a record producer, and he created this Father Abraham alter ego in 1971 after he wrote the song, Father Abraham Had Seven Sons. So that was like his hit song in the early 70s. So this character he invented wore a bowler hat and a fake beard, eventually figured out how to grow a real beard. But he's prolific. He wrote over 1,600 songs. Here's the thing, though. I could not find why in the snacks the, this guy wanted the rights to the smurfs i don't know i couldn't find so anything apparently he made the song like the he made a promotional song about the smurfs i don't know if it was the actual la, theme song la, or la, not la, la, la. did he do that yeah like so i i guess he was involved that way but how he would have rights beyond the music it was i couldn't find that out either as ben mentioned very challenging to find details about this whole story so that's about all i could dig up too i wonder if it's just like was it was it michael jackson who got the rights to the beatles music at some point uh, i think so like sometimes just like really wealthy musicians and people just want completely bizarre disconnected stuff and i'm wondering if father abraham was just like smurfs are funny i mean a lot of these people involved seem to be again businessmen they seem to be very astute and so I think maybe that's why he was involved. Okay. There's going to be a lot of high-pitched ending on question marks in this whole episode. I mean, yeah. So Freddy brokers this deal. Father Abraham owns the rights to the, the Smurfs comics. So Freddy then moves on to become the head of SEPP, which is a brand of Dupuis, uh, and was in charge of, therefore, merchandising those comics. So all, getting all the Smurf, that sweet, hot Smurf merch out on the market was As Freddy's they job. say in Spaceballs, merchandising. <laughs> Right. Spaceballs the lunchbox. Spaceballs the flamethrower. Spaceballs the doll. Starving me. May the Schwartz be with you. Oh my you. god. It's so cute. Adorable. I actually kind of want to watch oh that again, god. though. Okay. So, Freddy is hungry. He reaches out to NBC and Hanna-Barbera and loops in Pale, the original artist of the Smurfs, to try to get a cartoon series off the ground about Smurfs. And this starts to get even more awkward. <laughs> it's spicy. It gets spicy. It gets real spicy. So Peo, understandably, wants this new cartoon to be as faithful to the original comics as possible. Now, I could not find what the original Smurf comics looked like. I tried looking them up, and I can only find like the later 70s ones. But I'm just going to make an assumption, and feel free to correct me if I'm overstepping my bounds here, but I'm going to guess Peo's original comics were probably a little more serious and traditional and maybe doused in a lot of uh, Belgian culture. 
Hmm. where NBC and Freddie were kind of like, we got to make this branch out for the masses. We got to make this appeal more to kids, make it more silly. Accessible, yeah. Accessible, yeah. And reading between the lines, Peo is not down with that. No. I don't know what he, what his words were. But, you know, They didn't get along. They could not see eye to eye. The fights, as far as I could tell, were over rights and money, like who got what money and all that kind of stuff. So it sounded like despite his negotiating skills, Freddie was not able to broker this deal very well and just, yeah, clashing all around. Yeah. And it's, it's ugly. There's lawsuits and everything between this mm-hmm. uh, and trying to make it. And again, th- you know, this is sort of a black hole in this history, but I, it wasn't clear to me if Freddie was... In the, at the end of the day, any part of the Smurfs becoming a TV show, I think he might have missed out on it or got an extremely small share of whatever it was going to be. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure how that worked. Well, regardless, it's four years later in 1981. That's when Smurfs, the cartoon series, comes out. And it's, you know, this is one of the reasons why Smurfs is sort of a beloved property of the 80s. They came out right at the beginning of the 80s, 1981, and they end on 1989. For anyone who has been living under a rotting mushroom their entire life. Smurfs is like a village of tiny blue people, roughly the same size as Snorks, maybe a little bit bigger than a thumb. I think so. They all live in a little mushroom village. They all live in little mushroom houses. Each sort of has like a role in the village, like Handy Smurf who fixes stuff. Brainy Smurf. Brainy Smurf, who like is the only one who holds knowledge and power. There's Papa Smurf who's in charge. Uh, Most of them are topless, save for the only female in the village. Um, which you went as for Halloween one year, right? That's right, that's right. I was Smurfette that one time. You were Smurfette, uh, who wears a dress. And they are pursued by this evil guy in a castle named Gargamel and his orange cat, um, Gorefield. No, I can't remember the cat's name. What's the human? Azrael. Azrael. Well, that's actually, a, that's actually a great name. That's a great name. So that's kind of the Smurfs. And they have like small little village adventures. There's a lot of smurfing. Everything is done smurfily. Much like everything is snorkerific and all oh that kind of God. stuff. Yes. Yeah. It, it becomes a verb, an adjective, a noun, a pronoun. It takes on every form of language. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's like the main foundation. We've introduced the Smurfs where the tension has come between Peo and Freddy and NBC and Hanna-Barbera. Smurfs are off the ground. So where do the snorks come into this? So around this time, there's a comic artist named Nick Broca, who's working on a French comic book series called Spirou and Fantasio, which was actually super popular. In the kind of first half of the last century, it was like the most popular Belgian-French comic, uh, which launched in about 1938. And the best way I can describe it from what I saw is it's sort of like the adventures of Tintin. You know, there are these two main characters, Spirou and Fantasio, and they have these, I don't know, Johnny Quest-like adventures together. And in June of 1981, and remember, that means the same year that Smurfs got off the ground, uh, they're having, these two characters having an adventure underwater, and they encounter this curious race of, like, dog-sized underwater animals that he called the Diskies. Mm. So much like the Smurfs appearing in Johan and Peewit, when the Diskies showed up in this comic, people were like, the Diskies are awesome. Like, Spiro and Fantasio mm-hmm. are great, but we, we need us some more Diskies. Right. In just that following January, seven months later, the artist Broca comes out with like a Disky's dedicated comic series, but he calls it the Snorks. And so that's the start of the Snorks. Um, and he kind of redesigns them a little bit. The original Disky's uh, looked kind of much more squid-like. They had a bunch of tentacles and mm. like, multiple little tubes on their heads. But, you know, he kind of refines the look of them. Which brings us back around to what I would like to call as our Shark Tank champion, Freddy, who smells blood in the water of another property coming on board and he is filled with pith 
and spite. <laughs> so much spite. He's looking for anything to take down his frenemy uh, pain. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, like, I, I feel like there's a great drama movie here. I wish there was more background. Like, I really wish we could know their relationship. Because what you're reading is is so bitter, you're wondering if there was, like, a love there. and that, This is like Edison so and Tesla level. That yes. is, this is the current wars. This is where we're at. There's so much pain. So unfortunately, this time, Freddy does not have an eccentric musician who's looking for the rights to uh, the snork slash diskies. So Freddy buys it on his own. Freddy buys the rights to the snorks. And he and Broca talk about it. Broca's on, on board to turn this into a kid's television series. There's no kind of defensiveness like uh, Peyo had. And they negotiate with NBC and Hanna-Barbera and boom, and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now remember, Freddy's original involvement in this was merchandising the Smurfs. And so yeah. that's, that runs deep in his blood. So I want to talk real fast about the merchandising of the Snorks. So they get uh, <laughs> the contract with applause. And in 1979, the company obtained worldwide rights to the Smurfs, and they started releasing figurines in 1979 at $1.50 each. And so these Smurf characters, if you're listening to this, you can picture a Smurf toy. You might have owned many of these little Smurf toys, but they're these little tiny, you know, um, PVC characters. They were the best, one of the best-selling toys of 1982, and it's, you know, Smurfs in a million different ways. You could get the mushroom houses, but they're, like, ice fishing, or they're ice skating, or they're climbing trees, or playing instruments. Did you, did you have any um, Smurf toys back in the day? I remember having some of those little PVC minifigs. I don't, we had to have had some Smurfs. I cannot remember, but I feel like we had to have had some. I think, like, any drawer or box you had where you kept your, like, fast food toys... There was always a couple of these Smurfs rattling around in the bottom. Like, I remember we had California raisins. I definitely had the little California raisins. They're the same material, same kind of, you know, shape and size. You're right. That would be thrown in with your, like, not your most prized toys, but like the ones that you would bring out on certain occasions. Curiously enough, Chris, do you know who made the California raisins toys? Monica and Dim? Applause toys. The same oh, okay. toys right. who made the Smurfs. That's why they're so similar in like feel and size. I mean, it makes sense. It's not surprising for sure. A hundred percent. And uh, as you can see where this is probably going, Applause gets the license to make the Snorks toys as well. So that mm-hmm. was like a light bulb moment for me in this research of like you put a California raisin toy next to a Smurf toy next to a Snork toy. And it's like the same cartoonish design, the same material, the same size. It kind of all starts to make sense. Sure. You, listener, if you'd like to reminisce more about your box of leftover fast food toys, you can go back to Season 2, Episode 17, for our Fast Food Toys episode. We're doing a lot of great self-promotion lately. We are really just bringing our own six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I love it. But much like the Smurfs, these, like, snork PVC toys, like, all sorts of different zany poses, playing tennis, eating pizza, playing instruments, whatever. Uh, They also produced 16-inch plush dolls that were quite popular. And there's also kind of, like, anything in the 80s. There were book bags, drinking glasses, bed sheets, party favors, puzzles, storybooks, erasers, and there was even a snork's board game. Oh, wow. This whole podcast episode is supposed to be about the show, though. And I think, history-wise, we finally arrived at, like, the show actually happening. As we mentioned, it started as a Sunday morning cartoon, September 15th, 1984, which is three years late to the Smurf game, which I think is essential for a lot of people knowing the Smurfs and not knowing the Snorks, because the Smurfs got a three-year head start, ran for five years, uh, ending in spring, May 13th, 1989. So it actually struggled to gain a lot of traction in its first two years, so that's why they kind of rolled it into the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera in 1987, which was sort of a... Did you remember this show? Did this ring a bell for you, the fantastic world? 
No, not specifically. I, I remember watching a lot of different Hanna-Barbera cartoons, but I don't remember this particular setup. Yeah, so, and, and you're you're going to have a really important role here in a second. I just want you to be ready. If you need to drink a water, kind of clear your throat, mm-hmm. this is going to okay. be really important. La, um, la, la. So this was sort of a cartoon variety show. So it showed, like, brand new cartoons that Hanna-Barbera was cranking out, but also, like, classic ones. And they would do music videos as well, you know, their characters being involved in music videos. And mm-hmm. it was hosted by live action versions of some of those famous, like, classic Hanna-Barbera characters like Yogi Bear, Quick Draw McGraw. Huckleberry Hound, and one that I know is near and dear to your heart, Snagglepuss. Now, how do you feel about these characters? Oh, man, all these characters. It's bringing back all the memories. They're all great. I mean, Sa- <laughs> Snagglepuss was so ridiculous. All right, already. Okay, <laughs> then. He was... Him and Jabberjaws were the most ridiculous oh, Jabberjaws. characters. A giant land Jabberjaws shark. Jabberjaws basically talked like Curly from the Three Stooges. It's me, Jabberjaws. Right, I mean, the Flintstones, the Jetsons, those are all Hanna-Barbera. Huckleberry right. Hound, I do remember for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. All Was the memories. Was Snagglepuss the alligator? He's a cat. Oh, I can picture now. Yeah, puss, of course. Snagglepuss. I can mm-hmm. picture now. Who was the, is that Allie the alligator? Who's, who's the giant alligator? Wally Gator? Wally Gator, duh. They both have on, this is so funny. They have on the shirt cuff. So if you wear a, gentlemen, if you wear a suit... <laughs> The with French a shirt cuffs. underneath, yeah. and the cuff comes out. Both of these characters, and the collar, both of these characters have those features. They're just not wearing any other part of it. <laughs> right, no other clothing at all besides no the No other apparel, but they've got the cuffs with the little cuff link, and like the collar, and I think they're both wearing a hat. You know, it's some pieces are coming well, together no, Snagglepuss does not have a hat, but he does have the turned up collar, and he's got the, what's the tie? That has the two things that come down. It's not like a, it's oh, not a bow tie. Ascot? It's not an ascot. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This says it's called a bow tie. I wouldn't call it that, but we'll just no, go with it. No, not at all. Parents joke a lot that like when like toddlers are running around, they're naked. Like you can't get your mm. kids to put clothes on. Sure. You look at all the cartoons from that era. Everyone's Donald Duck in it. No one's wearing a full set of clothes. It's basically like they started animating right after bath time. And all the all the characters are running around with little or no clothing right. on. Their heroes are naked. Like, why are they supposed to wear clothes? Of course, I get it. The kids are inspired. Oh my I, gosh! Um, now this will this will help dovetail into chemistry. But in 1988, the fast food chain Roy Rogers partners with the German toy company Schleich to create three inch toys for their kids' meals. So, and these hmm. toys, what I could see online, are impossible to me to differentiate between the main line by applause toys. There's still that like PVC kind of shiny look. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it included most of most of the popular characters. Here's critical though. Do you recall Roy Rogers? Like have you ever seen Roy Rogers? We've talked about this on another episode. I can't remember which one. It may have been the fast food one. Maybe the fast food one, yeah. Um I don't particularly remember them. I think you call them a knockoff Arby's maybe. Yeah, is that yeah what you it's call like them? A, a it's a knockbuster Arby's is basically a what it knockbuster is. Arby's. So good. It was like, a, the, I think the sign was like a big Conestoga wagon. Like you think how Arby's has the big hat, like right. the 10 gallon yep. hat. But I think it was a New England sort of chain, like an East Coast. And maybe that wasn't a Midwest thing. I don't know. I mean, that would make sense. So the show, as we said, did not last super long four seasons. And it ends in the spring. I think this is the third time I've said this. I'm sorry. May 13th, 1989. Uh, it just really couldn't compete with the Smurfs. The Smurfs had gotten a head start. The Storks could not catch up. Not just with like being on air, but all the merchandise that was out there and advertising and everything that was in the market to make it happen. 
And so, unfortunately, Freddy, our intense Shark Tank champion broker, and Broca, the artist originally from uh, the Diskies, the inventor, parted ways, and SEPP, Freddy's licensing company, disbanded. That brings us to the mm-hmm. end of the 80s with the Snorks. Chris, I don't feel like I made anything up, but I feel like we did our best to get every piece of information out there about the history of the Snorks. Did I miss anything? Again, there's so little out there, but from what I can tell, you covered what is available. So I think it's time to talk a little bit more about the show itself. And I don't know that we can do that in history class. No, we are going to put on some flippers and a scuba tank and head on down to marine biology, uh, which will be this episode's chemistry class, to talk about the show itself. I've got this apparatus where I can put it in the water to see the pH level, so I'm ready. (laughs) Ready to rock. Let's go test the depths. Let's get down there. So as we often start off chemistry class, do you have any recollection when you might have first become aware of the snorks? And if the answer is this week, that's acceptable. It's not, but it's one of those properties I had forgotten about. You said the name. I recognize the name. When I looked at the characters, I was like, oh, yeah, that looks familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's possible I had some of those minifigures or a friend of mine did, but I can't say with any certainty. Yeah. The fact that the snork, the snorkel part of the snork was bendable on those figures felt like a memory I had. Yeah. But it wasn't firm. It wasn't solid. I couldn't say like oh, yes, I had this at this time of my life or my friend and I did this. I couldn't get that deep into it. So I probably had some experience with it. I just do not recall it. I think I got maybe one or two of the Roy Rogers toys and like a kid's okay. meal from Roy's, Roy Rogers. And I think as I mentioned on the show, when at that time, I spent a lot of time in the summers in my neighbor's pool and snorks very appropriate to be playing with in the pool along with mm. other sort of fast food toys. And so I think like that's where it started. And so it was the toy that drug me into the show rather than I saw the show and needed the toy. Uh, one of my favorite nostalgia triggers, of course, there's like music is great when you hear like or how a toy clicks or a toy works and you hear it. Like I love audible nostalgia. Visual is the easiest seeing stuff, watching movies. But I mm. love um, when smell can trigger. And I remember that smell of French fry grease and PVC chemical. <laughs> and I think that's how I know I got my snork toys through the Roy Rogers Happy Meal. Because I just remember them smelling like PVC and fry grease. <laughs> I smell fry grease and plastic. Oh, right. that's so good. Well, so what made you choose this topic? What made you yeah. select this? What was the the genesis of this? Like, oh, here's the topic I want to go with. Yeah. So, like, ever since we started the show, like, I, I keep, like, looking at Snorks because I see it and it just, there's something about the animation style that screams to me so 80s. Mm. You know, this is overstating it. This is why I chose it. But now that I've researched it, I don't feel this anymore. But I sort of thought Snorks were punk rock to Smurfs because everybody okay. loves Smurfs. And, like, snorks are, like, the underground. They're the underwater Smurfs. Like, you know, they're, like, the crazy offbeat Smurfs. And that made them punk rock. So I thought that was sort of a cool thing to highlight on. I am an individual who loves all things aquatic. And so, like, it is a cartoon that is aquatic. So I thought that was really neat. You know, like that. Sure. Like, you know, C-Lab 2021 that came out more recently. But it's sort of an homage to Johnny Quest, which is fun. It's got a heck of a great theme song. Like, a, I think it does have a really catchy theme song that, like, gets in your head. Well, we need to be clear because there are 
three different right. theme songs, at least. At least three. There are international variants, but if we're looking specifically at, you know, within North America, there's three different ones. And I think you're talking about the song from seasons three and four. Probably. It gives a lot more background story. Come Along with the Snorks, is it that one? Exactly, yeah. Come along with the Snorks. You know, since nobody is tracking the show anymore, I bet you can play a clip from the theme song and we can get away with it. That's from the final two seasons. Yeah. The second season has a we're the snorks and it's got like a little bit of like a Caribbean calypso kind Ooh. of music sound to it. Okay, I will say this is the best one, though. The best pitch for this show is the very original intro, which starts with a story and a voiceover. Okay, so I've got that here. I really want to talk about this story. Oh, my gosh. And then it kind of transitions to a a song, which is... What I loved about this the most is the original intro, you know, much like people were like, oh, I like this story, but the Smurfs are what I like better. Or this is cool, but the Diskies were so great. When I watched this, I thought, the Snorks are fine. I want this story. (laughs) So basically, it's this whole story. It opens up on this, like, coastal town. And you get this guy, and the voiceover is... I first discovered Captain Ortega's logbook in a monastery that overlooks the sea. First off, I'm interested right there. That sentence. Tell me about it. Tell me more, sir. On the morning of February 13th, 1634, Captain Ortega anchored his ship behind a barrier reef. That night, they were attacked by pirates. What? I'm I'm super intrigued. What? The original founder of great taco seasoning and salsa, Captain Ortega. Has now been captured by pirates. Yeah, go on. He traveled the globe to get all of the seasons for his (laughs) special seasoning packets. But it doesn't end there. This gets saucier. The ship set afire, sank into the lagoon. Ten days later, the captain was found, delirious, still clutching his logbook. What's in the logbook? What's in the book? What's in the book? Yeah. He described a world of tiny underwater creatures, no bigger than his thumb. No one believed him. But you know, there's something about Captain Ortega's story that makes me believe it's true. And then it fades into the song. Right, right. I want a cartoon about this man's journey to figure out what happened and try to find the snorks. That was the cartoon I wanted. This story was so (laughs) enthralling. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this is the core nugget of chemistry class here. 
I need to understand, as we the audience, how do we know the stories of the snorks? Because, so, it, you know, all this is animated. What you just said, they, like, animate the story of Captain Ortega. And you see his ship sink in the lagoon, and he's, like, in the captain's quarter behind some glass. And the snorks, like, swim up and look at him. First of all, old ships like that, not going to happen. Ship's not going to go down, and there's going to be air under, you know, he's dead. I just want to be real clear. Ortega drowns immediately. Take that, child's cartoon. Right. <laughs> Look, the 80s were all about crushing. It was dark for kids. A lot of horror. But like, <gasps> so, okay, this is like a legit question. I really need to break this down with you because this really was bothering me. So Ortega's journal. Was Ortega down there for 10 days in this air pocket in the ship? And he records all 65 episodes of the Snorks. And so as we watch the episodes of the Snorks, we are getting what he learned about the Snorks while he was down there, or is this the kind of fun setup and so that we know maybe some Snorks exist, but then we as the audience are like watching the Snorks live and they're investors. He's not an in-between storyteller. That is correct. This is in 1634, whatever the time frame was. What we see from the Snorks cartoon is a modern day scenario. Okay, I honestly wasn't sure. Well, they have some encounters with humans and they are modern day humans. And so we'll get to that, but... This is sort of the first contact scenario between okay. storks and okay. humans. So I think this is just building some world-setting lore of when snorks first realize humans exist, and this is that encounter. Okay. But again, we just get this glimpse, and then it's gone <laughs> because before it even begins, really, because it's just a part of the season one intro. But I want that story. No, it's a great so story. Bad. But you know, and I ask this because I never saw Ortega in an episode. But I'm just waiting. I'm waiting in a shot of the episode where, like, you know, Casey's like, "Gee, all star, like, where are we gonna snork today?" And he's like, "I don't know, Casey." And the camera just sort of pans over, and there behind the glass of the ship is Ortega creepily just taking notes, like watching the sm- the snorks as they do their stuff. The the final episode it shows the snorks and they're like all gathering and laughing and it it starts to pan to the right and you see a pineapple under the sea. Oh God! It keeps panning and you see a human skeleton. <gasps> and it's Captain Ortega. He's dead. He's been there the whole freaking time and you don't know what happens. But then you start <laughs> to realize that maybe that Captain Ortega was an imposter. Wasn't One-Eyed Willie trying to find Captain Ortega's book, both to learn about the snorks, but and for the secret recipe? That was the Goonies plot, I think, yeah. The 14 spices of Ortega salsa he was trying to discover. He's trying to rebuild the spice profile, exactly. So, you know, we have to pepper in a lot of this and a lot of assumption, because again, this was one of the hardest research projects we've ever done for 80s High. And I don't mean, we've done some hard legwork before, like watching a lot of ALF, reading it. You know, we have done some research, but you know, this was tricky. You know, for example, you know, even the Wikipedia article is pretty weak about the snorks. You know, I couldn't get a lot of that, a lot from that. I got the most from the episode list. Okay, that's helpful because I discovered some weird stuff here, Chris. I, you know, I tried to find on YouTube some snorks to watch, and I found a very uncomfortably named YouTube channel that I can't repeat on the show, but it was a super cut. Of the entire Stork series of just every time there was a squish or a splat sound effect. Hmm. Like that classic hand Barbera, like quack, or like, yeah, like that kind of sound. Yeah. And that was honestly the, the most amount of Stork content I was able to find um, for this research. And I, I, I don't know, I just feel like I've been through it, man. This has been a whole thing. I'll say this much. There's not a full episode available. No. Nope. There's at most a four minute clip, a continuous clip that at you can most. find. A lot of one or two minute clips. Well, I wouldn't even say a lot. There are a handful of one or two minute clips. 
It's not streaming anywhere currently. Nope. It's not even available at the Seattle Public Library. Oh, you really went for it. You tried at the library. Seattle Public Library is pretty extensive. It is a a huge network. Couldn't find it because it is available on DVD. It's not streaming on Amazon, but you can buy it from Amazon. All of the seasons appear to be available. You and I are on different library systems, and I just searched mine for snorks. Results. Nothing found for snorks. Man. So there you go. It's just further proof that this show did not really have the same reach and that it's not super available anywhere currently. I mean, those... That changes all the time with these streaming services and who they make partnerships with and new ones come around and they join forces. And so who's to say, shoot, by the time you hear this, it could be streaming somewhere. Could but be. right now, you don't know. it ain't nowhere. So I think what I'm going to try and do, I've got sort of just a hodgepodge of notes I took while watching what content I could about the Snorks. Just, you know, to talk sure. about a little bit more like what what's out there. You know, I did think it was interesting... The Snorks are kind of aware that there are humans. They know about the world yeah. beyond the ocean, which they call outer space. Yeah, or dry space. I've heard it referred to as dry space as well. So was there another character from the 80s who thought the human world was called outer space? Well, there's Fraggle Rock, of course. There's the Fraggles! Which was episode... Season 2, episode 5. <laughs> I knew you'd know it. <laughs> if Yay, like to, okay. If you'd like to go pick up a... But there's, you know, there's that interesting, again, outer space is the people world. Which I think is great. I I like the fact that it's a kid's show in this fictional world, but it creates this tie to the real world. So Mm -hmm. it makes it seem like it's possible. And for a child's imagination, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, And so the fact that they did that, and they do have some encounters with humans in some of the episodes, much like the Fraggles did, I thought was great. Not as many, because the Fraggles would often go up into the workshop, Doc's workshop, and the dog was there. Was it Sprocket? Sprocky, oh boy! Or oh, Sprocket! But what I thought was also cool is when objects would fall into the ocean, they called them UFOs, identified oh, really? falling objects. Oh, that's pretty awesome, actually. Which is great. And so they kind of liken humans to aliens, which I think the Fraggles called them strange creatures. But yeah. again, more or less the same kind of idea. It's this creature from another realm that we don't fully understand. So we will interpret through our own lens. And so the fact that they did that in this show, I thought was fun. I liked it. Now, I'm curious if you found something different. So you mentioned about stuff falling down into Snorkland from human land. And like, again, we had a sample size of like six two-minute clips. So if we had watched the whole 65-episode run, maybe what I'm about to say would be different. But in what I watched and what I read about the Snorks, I'm surprised that there wasn't more of, like, an environmental focus. Like, it wasn't more Captain Planety. Like, I saw clips where there was some ice drilling in an area, which was a problem. There was an oil spill. There was some garbage dump falling. But mostly yes. it was about, like, just, like, the inter-Snork drama and not a lot about pollution, which I'm just kind of surprised based on the setting. I mean, there was enough of it. It's not like every episode of The Fraggles dealt with that too, but it was in some episodes where like the water was poisoned and it affected the different realms of Fraggle World. And yeah, there's one where they go to visit their friends at the Snork Pole, obviously. Yeah, I mean, as you do, as one does to, to the Snork Pole. And basically there's, you know, a giant drill that comes blasting into the middle of the village you're going to like this. Okay. One of the characters says, I can't believe my ice. Nice. Oh, that's good. That's really, really good. Is I it like though? That. Is it though? <laughs> I can't believe my eyes. And then they actually go up to the ship and try to reason with the captain who's like, oh, 
Yeah, you know, he doesn't. He can't believe he saw these little talking creatures that are basically like, so yeah, our village is right beneath here. So if you could like kind of go somewhere else and stop going, <laughs> that would be swell. He's like, Yar, I knew Captain Ortega's accounts were true. <laughs> like, ah, you be the ones that killed Captain Ortega. 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> but my favorite quote of, of that is they're like, oh, these are from the humans. We can go talk to them. They're pretty reasonable. And I was like, oh, honey, baby girl. Yeah, good luck. No. <laughs> honey, baby good luck girl. with that. Good luck with that, they're sister. They're totally reasonable. Oh, my God. So, I mean, that has an environmental sure. story that's, that's, for yeah, sure. It's pretty hardcore. So, I don't think it was like heavy. It wasn't Captain Planet, which is right. completely that's, that's what the it's all whole about thrust of the story but this i think it touched on it i think enough to be able to say like hey guess what if you throw something away it could end up in the ocean and that has repercussions okay all right all right without uh, being heavy-handed I, I think it's enough yeah it seems enough um so at least in the first couple seasons mostly in the first season the general tension that happens is like so the snarks are are not allowed to leave their village there's like some rule and i never heard the rule spoken in an episode but like you're not allowed to leave Snorkland. So I think there's like, I found something here. Well, part of it is because they don't want to be discovered. That's what, that's the reason the rule exists, is they don't well, want Well, they have a place that's called Beyond the Limits. <laughs> so apparently, I think that's like a barrier. I don't know if it's a natural barrier or if it's presumed that beyond there are predators because there are snork eaters. Sure, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just wonder if maybe it creates a smaller world, but I wonder if they don't venture out because it's dangerous. It's sort of like Finding Nemo. I love what you said, Beyond sure. the Limit. I like, you know, we talked about the real Ghostbusters, and after that in the 90s was Extreme Ghostbusters. And right. I feel like the 90s Snorks is called Snorks Beyond the Limit. Beyond the Limits. Beyond the Limits. They go venturing out in right. their little clam submarines, exactly. So the tension is because they're not supposed to leave, and it's a little dangerous out there, but there always seems to be a reason the heroes have to leave, to go, like, get something or discover something to, like, save Snorkland. But apparently it's a pretty steep punishment if you're caught leaving Snorkland. What are the punishments in Snorkland? Oh, geez. Um, your snork gets plugged up so that you can't snork around. So you're left to snork to your own device oh, snorks. Oh, I don't know. I, I, what would, you are tied up and fed to the snork eaters. Oh, oh, that's dark. That's good. You are put into the mad scientist's machine so he can do evil experiments on you. Evil snork experiments on you. I have no idea. What's it? Dr. Strange snork. It's Dr. Strange snork. Wow. I like it. Yeah. So later on, it's more about just interpersonal challenges. You know, the different snorks. We're going to find out there are some bad snorks. Like you said, there's snork eaters. Think of these main characters. We have like our main gang of characters. Think of them... I feel like they're sort of like high schoolers, maybe. Yeah. They're not adult snorks, but there's a lot of things where they're like, they're going to the big dance or the big ball, and who are they going to go with, and all that kind of stuff. So like, there's there's races and competitions of different sports. It kind of has that feel to me of like, they're not actually in a high school, they're not in like a learning environment, but it has that feel. Which, based on what you just said, if someone just tuned in just now, they think we were talking about happy days. Like, it's just Happy Days plots with with, with thumb-sized Smurfs at the bottom of the ocean. Or Saved by the Bell. Which is 1980s Happy Days. <laughs> I mean, yeah, basically. So it's right? like it's not that far off from those kinds of shows, for sure. I think uh, plot-wise. Yeah, yeah. You know our heroes are cool in this episode because they're in a band. 
Mm. When you see the episode, your main characters, including the dog slash octopus pet. Aki. Aki, thank you. Are all in a band, which was, again, was like a thing in the 80s. Like, there was Denver the Last Dinosaur, who, like, played in a band. In Silverhawks, there was Colonel Bluegrass. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Also in the early 90s, because if we're going to talk about Saved by the Bell, the ladies were in Hot Sunday. Oh. And then Zach also had that future dream where they were all in a band together, Friends Forever. Friends Forever. Oh, so good. Well, and you had Jem. So Jem is about like I mean, Jem and the holograms. Definitely. Isn't so, Hannah Montana about that too? I don't even think <laughs> this is just 80s. I think this is yeah, just like a thing. Is Hannah Montana the last kids rock star? Is that like... There has to be more. Do you think there's a contemporary like... But it's not like their main thing. That's the trick, right? Hannah Montana, like her main thing was like, hey, I'm in a band. These these snorks are cool, but also just happen to be in a band on the side. I think being in a band is not an uncommon thing in current culture. It's not like limited to the 80s. I mean, even in like Parks and Rec, Andy Dwyer was in Mouse Rat. So I mean, like, you know, Mouse it's not <laughs> it's not uncommon. I mean, it, it happens a lot. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good point. Fair point. So I'm going to try and rein this in a little bit because I think I went a little overboard. You, you corrected me after I wrecked me in Dino Riders. We have mentioned the cast, the characters a few times. So I yeah, we, kinda, need to, we need to talk about these. Yeah, I want to go through the main characters and their voice actors, but yes. I'm going to keep it cool. I'm not going to give a whole freaking resume like Dino Riders. So our hero, our protagonist of the show is All-Star. So he's he's the yellow snork. And I do want to just clarify, based on our Hanna-Barbera cartoon talk that we just had, all the snorks are fully closed. You didn't get yes. that with Smurfs. You didn't get that with a lot of Hanna-Barbera. The snorks, you know, it's a, it's a dive suit. It's a wetsuit. You got to be dressed at the bottom of the ocean. Stay warm. That's true. So All-Star is yellow. Uh, he was in a, a, a Transformer. Like everybody was in the 80s, every voice actor. He was in Transformers and G.I. Joe. For every actor we're about to say, just blanket, boilerplate right now, they voice something in Transformers and in G.I. Joe. All right? And sometimes the Smurfs. And so, right, Oh, that's where it gets spicy. I actually tried to reach out to some of these actors who are still around today who were on both shows because I wondered like if they had a favorite between the two and they tried to like Ooh. phone it in to tank one of them. They're like, I was a snork through and through. So I like really phoned it in on the Smurfs. Like I would have loved that story. I'm sure they're all seasoned professionals and would never do I such a know. thing. Oh, it's a bummer. So All-Star Seaworthy, he's the yellow one. He's in a blue suit. He's got a star on his shirt. He's sort of the leader. He's athletic. Um, he's sort of like whatever every 80s kids show that's your, your male protagonist. Yeah, that's him. He's, he's all the normal things. You've got Demetrius Demi Finster, voiced by Brian Cummings. We mentioned Denver the Last Dinosaur. He was on that. So he's the orange one. He's, he almost looks kind of like a Charlie Brown knockoff. Like his clothes are yellow and black, but he's orange. Yeah. He's got like a, a Pilgrim belt buckle. Like yes. Pilgrims probably didn't wear that belt buckle, but children's drawings of Pilgrims definitely wear the little, 100%. The little buckle 100%. around their like stomach. And he's got one of those. So he tries to be funny. He's a big eater. Uh, then you got Casey Kelp. So this is, our, this is our first kind of interesting voice actor I'm really excited about here. We got BJ Ward. She was on Tailspin. And she also played uh, Betty Rubble later on in later episodes of the Flintstones. Not original. So she's, yeah. uh, she's pink with uh, two pigtails. Um, she also voices Lil Seaweed, which is a bad guy. Mm. Female sidekick. So here we have a massive heavy hitter. I was super mm-hmm. excited to read this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got the character Daphne Gilfin, who's voiced by Nancy Cartwright. Chris, who did Nancy Cartwright? Who does she Bart voice? Bart Simpson, man, eat my underwater shorts. Like, it this is, is a titan Nancy. here. There's yeah, a big one. It's great. Bart Simpson, Nelson, Ralph Wiggum. Uh, she's also on Voltron. She's in DuckTales. 
so she's a big deal. She's coral colored. She's historic. She's sort of the vain beauty queen kind of one. I would say this much. If you know any cartoon voice actor from this group, you know Nancy Cartwright. 100%. Because of The Simpsons, of course. But yeah. there's another big name here we're going to get to, which I'm so excited oh, yeah. about. It won't be a surprise for anyone. Uh, so Wellington Wentworth Jr., a.k.a. Jr., uh, who's voiced mm-hmm. by Barry Gordon, also a big name from the time. He voices Donatello yeah. and Bebop from the Turtles. Uh, so he's another orange skin snark. He's sort of like a rich, wealthy. He's a wealthy he's a spoiled brat. He's a little brat. Yeah. 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 OK, I have so much to say about this character. I'm actually really excited to talk about this one. So you've got Tudor Shelby. I think this is the toy I actually had. So he's the green snork with sort of like curly hair around the side. And he's voiced by Frank Welker. Frank Welker. The Frank Welker. Of course, Hefty Smurf, Fred and Scooby-Doo, Stripe the Gremlin, Megatron. And if someone were to listen to season one, episode 19, who else did Frank Welker voice? Well, before I say that one, he's also Dr. Claw from Inspector Thank Gadget, you. Right, of, course. of course. Thank you. Which, that's the like most iconic voice in my opinion. But yes, if we're talking about that episode, of course, he was Emperor Krulos from Dino Riders. The one and the only. Ugh. Okay, so, so let's say it's Emperor Krulos and not Captain Ortega who crashes into the water and discovers the snorks. What, what does Krulos say in observing the snorks? Foolish Snorks, I will destroy you all and take over all of Snorkland with my dinosaurs. <laughs> that's that's the crossover we really need. We need the Snorks versus Dino Riders. Would have been amazing. So Welker also voices Aki, like you said, the dog slash octopus, and a couple of bad guys, Phineas and the great Snork Nork. But yeah. this was really interesting. So I had, so Tudor can't talk. So like Aki makes like barky sounds like a dog. But this like normal Snork just sort of like, like toots and everyone understands what he's saying so i had like this big sarcastic rant ready to rock and roll for you about like why i couldn't understand tutor but then i found like in the actual writing of the show tutor has aphasia yeah and he can only toot and beep and his parents were also the same way and his mom has a lisp and like awareness and being seen is one of the most like important steps in uh like equality and cultural acceptance and I actually like made a big 180 on being all upset about Tudor Shelby to be like, wow, this is actually like a conscious decision to bake into a kid's show yeah. a character that has like a medical condition, but who's like a normal beloved part of the group. We know speech pathologists, both of we us. Too. So it's we like, do. it's something that is easy to overlook and think like, wow, this is a gimmick. But apparently, according to what you found, this was actually built in sort of purposefully. I mean, they don't yeah. ever come out and say he has a communication disorder right, or exactly. an aphasia or anything like that. But the fact that he isn't ostracized for it, that he's part of the gang, that he is – like he solves some of the the issues they get into. He's able right. to like shine. And I think at even one part, he's making music through his snork that everyone yeah. loves. And then he, he ends up fighting – with a piper fish. So like oh, basically this nice. piper fish is like drowning out the music. And so like he's it. able to kind of like battle with it. So it's distracted. But anyway, yeah, he's a, he's this contributing full member of the group. And I liken it to Chewbacca where like, we have no clue what <laughs> Chewbacca is saying, but everyone else seems Everybody to know what he's it. saying. It's and so you're just good. like, okay, this is great. So yeah, 
Yeah, it was cool. And the last, like, uh, good guy character that, I mean, there's a bunch, but the last, like, star is Corky. And Corky was voiced by Rob Paulson, who's another one of my mm-hmm. favorite voice actors of all time. He's, of course, Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, Yakko Warner from the Animaniacs, Donatello from the original Ninja Turtles. He does a great podcast, again, by the way, Talking Tunes, where he interviews other I feel like other we also actors. brought this up in, like, a, uh, maybe it was in the episode about Dino Riders. Didn't you go or watch a panel with Rob Paulson in it? Uh, yeah, Rob's amazing. I've seen him at a Comic-Con. And okay. uh, I actually did pitch him for this episode, too, to come back and talk about, but he did not respond. And Corky's interesting. He's another orange snork, which seems to be, like, besides pink, the most repeating color of the snorks. Uh, mm. And he's sort of like the snork cop. He's like a snork patrol officer who has a very sweet submarine. Actually, everybody likes him. This isn't some, like, weird anti-cop kid show from the 80s. I mean, the right. 80s even had the animated show Cops, which is all about, like, superhero cops, not the terribly destructive live-action cops. So this is a good cop. Everybody loves this cop. This is great. We have a rotating cast of, like, villains. So you've got Dr. Strange, Norik Seaworthy, who's voiced by Rene Aubergenois, who was in oh. DuckTales, and Chippendale's Rescue Rangers, who was no, one of my No, 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 no. He is Odo from Star Trek Deep Space Time. Oh, yeah! Rest right. in power, Mr. Aubergenois. He is... Yeah, Rene's the best. He has the great voice for for acting. He's also in, like, it's probably the worst episode of Avatar The Last Airbender by anyone's account. But he does a great voice in that one. Obviously, his voice acting has nothing to do with why it's not a beloved episode. But, yeah, uh, Rene is so good. So, and and reading his, like, bio, it sort of strikes me that he's sort of like a Gargamel. Like, he's he's an absent-minded mad scientist who's trying to, like, take over Snorkland. He's got a brother, Dr. Galileo, who's, like, a good guy. They're, they're like two scientists against each other. Yeah, it's basically your your typical stock mad scientist take over the right. world, you know, whoever. Fill in the blank, it's Dr. Claw, it's Gargamel, it's whoever. You've got Big Weed, who's the main villain starting in season three, who's sort of like a giant seaweed-like creature with, with mm-hmm. magic. And then you mentioned the Snork Eaters. I mean, their name is like pretty self-evident, but is there more to them besides just being called the Snork Eaters? I don't think so. There's just these red creatures that prey on Snorks. Yeah, okay. And apparently the only thing that scares them is the Snork Eater Eater. So there you go. Oh, it just keeps going up. And then there's like the episode with the Snork Eater Eater Eater. It's not an apex predator is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) There's something that keeps the Snork Eaters in line as well. Anything about the characters? More you want to talk about the characters of the cast? I mean, there's other characters. We don't need to get into all of them. I think what you can tell from the show, it ran four seasons, of course. I think what you can see is it's a pretty big cast of characters because those are only the main highlights. There's a ton more. So in terms of world building, I think they did a good job, at least on appearance of reading through this, that they were able to kind of make this feel like a full world. It wasn't just this little group and these couple of characters doing things. It's not like Tom and Jerry where it's just two characters in different settings that don't really have a lot of continuity. There was a a world here, which I thought was good. Uh, Not too dissimilar, of course, from Smurfs. Yeah, so speaking of not too dissimilar of Smurfs, I kind of want to get into that with you. I want to do, again, if you're coming in here not familiar with the snorks you see this and you're like this is just a straight up underwater knockoff of the smurfs i want to do sort of a pro con thing with you like observances differences you saw between smurfs and snorks things you like or prefer you find similar you know so so i'll give you an example we did an instagram poll we asked people which environment they preferred do you like the smurf village which is like a little 
huddle of different colored and shaped and sized mushrooms, mushroom houses, or snorkland, which are kind of, I don't know how you describe this, like a bunch of different seashells, seashells and sandcastles all kind of clumped together. It's almost like looking into an aquarium or something. Yeah, it's like a little aquarium. You know, the majority of our Instagram poll responders, you know, still favorite Smurfs. I, again, I think that's because they had a three-year jump on on moisturizing and advertising. I, I don't think that's the only reason, but I don't think first mover advantage is the only reason it's a better show or more known, but sure. No, this is good because, okay, so what are the other reasons? I, I just want to talk specifically about the land. Like, how do you feel about the setting of this, like, fantasy forest mushroom village and, like, underwater coral reef land? On its surface, I find the underwater aspect to be more intriguing purely because we don't live in that environment. And so being able to peer into a world unlike ours is fascinating. Much like the Fraggles lived underground deep in these caves, I don't live in a cave. And so the fact that I can go there as a child and learn about this magical environment is cool. Now, forests, of course, don't live in a forest either, but like you can kind of envision that a little bit more. So for me personally... I think the underwater aspect is more alluring. See, I completely agree. I just think there's a lot more opportunity with stories to tell in that environment. I think it provides a lot more interesting art, like with the, I don't know, the coral or what comes down or the setting. You know, I I just think I like that. I prefer that to the, the fantasy mushroom land. And I think a a potential skew of your question that we put out on Instagram, of course, is that it's brand recognition. Yeah, I think of we cannot of overlook course. the fact that that was a skewed factor in how people voted on that particular poll. Because some people would probably look at that and be like, I don't know the snorks, but I love the Smurfs. Click. So there is a little bit of that to take into consideration, I think. 100%. It's not purely on the aesthetic of the world or the villages yeah, yeah, yeah. themselves. You know, something that the Smurfs usually gets ragged on for its, its weirdness is... Um, you know, I know this is a hot button word these days, so I, I want to be careful bringing this in here. But it's a bit of a sort of a communist village. You know, each Smurf is only defined by the job which they hold. Like, what is their sure. service to the community? And they don't really seem to be more than that. And like, at least in the clips we saw of the Snorks, the Snorks are far more three-dimensional characters. It's not like this is their role in the community. Well, they have names for starters. They have names that are not job-related. <laughs> That's right. That's- I don't think one of them had one job-related name except maybe Dr. Strange yeah, And he Nork. earned that. Like, he went to college and, and he went through university. He earned the doctor in his name. Exactly. I like that. I think that's a little bit nicer. I think that gives more storytelling, a little more of it. And on the same sort of vein, I mean, we got to talk about the big snork in the room here. There's a big snork here. There's only one female Smurf in a village of all dudes. And that's always like a big sticking point of the series. And I actually, I don't know why that is. Do you know why there's only one female Smurf? I feel like it's kind of like a lot of shows that unfortunately still to this day do a lot of tokenism casting. Yeah. And it's like, well, crap, we made all these characters. We got to have a chick in there. So I guess we'll throw in a female <laughs> character. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of I mean, it feels that way. I mean, there's only one. The thing I'll say about the Snorks, there are a lot of characters of different genders in that show. And it's not just our main cast. There are two female characters in the, the main gang of Snorks. But beyond that, there are a lot of other different characters. So right. if you want to talk about gender diversity and that kind of a thing... And even if you will, there's different colors of snorks. Of course, we can't map that onto <laughs> right. race right. and ethnicity in the human world. Right. But 
as a child, understanding that some people will look and sound different, and that's okay. We're all, you know, we're all snorks in this together kind of a thing. <laughs> does map over, but it's like there's an oversimplifiedness to the Smurfs yeah. that categorize somebody. And by the way, I don't think Smurfette had a job other than to be the female Smurf. Yeah, yeah. And to, to reinforce every stereotype of female Smurf that she could. Yeah, so there's a gender stereotype there, too, that, of course, like, all the men have jobs, and she's just the lady who's pretty and blonde. Right, and, and she's so, not wearing, like, a yeah. po- like power shoulders and a jacket. You know, she's got a dress on. She's walking around with flowers. Doesn't she have, like, heels on, I yeah, think? which are, like, for anyone who's ever gone tromping through the forest, like, heels aren't going to help you out there. This going to be a huge problem. So I think that's a huge negative in the column of the Smurfs. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at the Snorks, I, I think, and you also point out the color differentiation. With the Snorks, yeah, they're all these different colors. You got Casey, you got Daphne, you got Baby Small Star, Mrs. Seaworthy, Auntie Marina, Mrs. Kelp. Like, we also didn't point out that they're all great ocean puns. There's, I don't know, there's just so much more diversity and variety in the Snorks that I think that's a big win over the Smurfs. Yeah, completely agree. I'll say the only other thing between the two shows is it just seems like there's a lot more opportunity for variety in threats and crises on the reef for the Snorks mm. than just like what is Gargamel slash fantasy Wily Coyote's latest plot to like capture these Smurfs. Right. Right. There's just a lot more opportunity for what the tension can be. Yeah. I mean, they've got the main cast of villains, but some of the different stories like they're like there's one where they befriend a snork eater it's like actually i think it's like a baby snork oh, eater and it kind of becomes friends with them or they've had to like rescue a orca or like th- they go into these little like rescue missions with these different creatures but you know because you do have this very defined chain of prey and predator yeah underwater and you've got these different biomes or zones or whatever i think yeah, I think it's it's much richer. And you've got three dimensions, whereas on land, you're basically, you're on that plane together, whereas in the water, there's up, there's down, there's all over yeah. the place. And so I, I think it adds a little actual depth as well as story depth. Oh, ooh. Like, you're on fire tonight. You didn't even write that thing down ahead of time. That was just off the cuff. <laughs> That was that was off the uh, Wally Gator cuff. That was off the Snagglepuss. The Snagglepuss cuff, cuff for sure. Uh, you know, it's not a comparison of the two shows, but I, you know, I just want to say, speaking of variety, in the clips that we watched, I feel like besides the theme song, each clip that I saw on YouTube of the show was different music. Mm. I don't think that was so common in Ace cartoons. Like we, you know, and when we did the real Ghostbusters, the real Ghostbusters had like two to three songs. And they just repeated mm. all the time in all the episodes. Or Dino Riders didn't have a lot of variety to its music. But I think it's Snorks, you know, again, when your heroes are in a band, you better deliver on the musical aspect of your show. Uh, There's just a lot of variety of music, which I think was good. That's a great point. I didn't notice that, but I, I like that. Anything else in marine biology you want to tackle here uh, when talking about the Snorks? I think I just like the fact that they tried to create a lot of different stories that I think were... Relatable human stories, if you will. So we already talked about how, you know, Tudor had this communication disorder, this aphasia. Yeah. And, you know, I think as kids, we all know somebody who had a stutter or a lisp or some other kind of speech issue, and they struggled with that. So the fact that that's something I think that's relatable to a kid that, you know, it's not uncommon for kids to wrestle with. Uh, I thought it was great. You know, the, there's an episode actually where Casey, you know, you said she's the one that's more into like beauty and vanity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where she thinks her snork is too big and she tries to do this different stuff to shrink it. And I think 
There's a lot of us who feel like, you know, my nose is too big. My ears are weird. My chin is this. You know, like there's something about our physical appearance that I think all of us can feel like self-conscious about. Yeah. So I think that had a relatability to it. And they even had one like kind of on a more moral level where someone's stealing from the store. I think it's one of the main characters' father owns the like store in town. And someone's stealing, but you find out they're helping salt miners who are being like worked ragged by big weed uh, and a little seaweed. Interesting. And so it's a little bit of like a Robin Hood type story yeah. helping those less fortunate. And so it's complex. I, I feel it's like variety-wise, yeah, there was some fun variety. To the stories, it seemed like, not just, who am I going to the dance with, or <laughs> we're going to have a race or a sandcastle building contest, which was a plot line. But, you know, they had those, but they had some other ones that I think were a little more issues that I think children could understand uh, parallel to. Yeah. Like you said, a little more gray area. Like, wasn't there an episode where the snork was like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so scared you remember that one yeah she got addicted to iodine pills it was really bad because <laughs> that's another that's another ocean thing that's good okay well i think we have scoured the reef for everything we can mm. about these snorks to understand them let's go grab a nice seaweed salad in the cafeteria and see if there's a single thing you or i could find that this show inspired after the 80s in contemporary culture All right, challenge accepted. We are playing Storm's Kids. Ten million strong and growing. It's a big world, and nobody knows more about helping kids grow into it than Flintstones. Ten million strong and growing. We're here in contemporary culture to do probably one of the greatest challenges of contemporary culture is to figure out what the Snorks did after uh the 80s chris this is another hard one man i'm so sorry sank into obscurity is the answer this will be the shortest classroom (laughs) ever on 80s high so all i have is the dvd release information that is literally all i could find okay well i'll let you do that one i've got a couple things before that so they do make a comeback in 1992 uh cartoon network starts rerunning the snorks from 92 to 2000. I think I watched Cartoon Network. I think it was a little bit behind me, a little bit after me in terms of when I was growing up. That Cartoon Network was around the time where I was probably not watching cartoons as much. Totally. I think I got into Cartoon Network with like Powderpuff Girls and like Dexter's Laboratory. Yeah. See, that's right behind. Right. That's right right behind. But then it got Mm -hmm. great in high school because late night Cartoon Network was like Aqua Teen Hunger Force and uh, mm. Space Goes Coast to Coast, The Brack Show. Uh, really good content. But okay, so this it's, it reruns in the 90s. Then this is really, really weird. In June of 2005, Family Guy, season four, episode seven. Basically, an episode of Family Guy, there's only three minutes of like present time in the episode. And the oh, rest yeah. is like there's so much callbacks. Fantasy, callbacks, side gags. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So they do a side gag callback. And I don't know the context in the whole episode, but it's Casey Kelp and All-Star. Actually, it's quite a lewd callback. So I don't really feel like talking about it in detail. But, you know, there's some, I guess you could say there's some sparks going on between the two snorks in this episode of okay. Family Guy. All right. Now that we know how hidden this show is in contemporary culture, you know, pretty funny for Family Guy to point it out. <laughs> you snorts. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's 
from the brain of Seth MacFarlane. That, to me, is not super surprising. But yeah, it's a very niche callback for sure. Oh, yeah. And then in 2012, Boomerang starts rerunning it. So I think Boomerang was sort of like what Nick at Night is to Nickelodeon to Cartoon Network. Like Boomerang ran old cartoons later in the evening. That makes sense. And then I think you might actually then have the history on the only way people can watch full episodes of The Snorts. Yeah, this seems to be the only current outlet. So the seasons were released on DVD as part of a Hanna-Barbera classic collection. And they released them in 2012, 15, and 16 with the different seasons. They, They put three and four together in that last collection. And this classics collection was DVD box sets from Warner Archive. And they would typically have complete seasons or a complete series, if they were shorter, of various Hanna-Barbera classic cartoons, uh, which began in March of 2004. A couple examples that we probably all know, Scooby-Doo, The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Smurfs, those were also part of this classics collection release. So as far as we can tell, this is the only way you can currently watch Snorks. Which, it just blows my mind, in two and a half seasons of 80s high i don't think there's been a single piece of content that's been so hard to experience now this is a today challenge than snorks it's just really hidden you know i do have one more follow-up on this, this is really exciting so we're just a month away so next month in december of 2022 we've got james cameron's avatar way of the water which is coming to okay. the next month and i think from what i've read heavily inspired by the snorks so jimmy watched the show and was like wait a minute the next Avatar movie in Snorkland. I mean, look, the first Avatar was about blue people in a fantasy forest. And they were like, many years later, let's do it bigger and better. We'll go include water. Mm. Well, wouldn't the Avatar knockbuster include oh my God. this Please. story but underwater? So they're like, wait, there's blue people in the forest. Hold on. What about red people under the water? Yeah, and I'm going to see it in 3D so I can keep a close eye on it. But it'd be a great little Easter egg if, like, you just see for, like, half a frame there's a snork, like, in the reef in Avatar Way of the Water. That'd be great. I love it. Just a little little Easter egg, a little thumb-sized Easter egg. It's great. I say this sarcastically because I'm trying to... I personally struggled to draw a straight line from the snorks to anything else. So, I mean, you've got Finding Nemo, epic underwater kid story where you're not supposed to leave your reef, The Little Mermaid... Moana, SpongeBob SquarePants, Civilization of the Water. I just, I don't know. Like, can you, it's a it's a stretch. Can you draw any lines from Snorks to anything afterwards? I don't think there's any fishing line that is going to connect Ooh. this property to something else. I think it would be a stretch. And I don't think we need to go searching for it. I think it is what it is. Like, here we are. And there's no direct inheritor of this property that you know found its inspiration from or direct lineage from and so i I don't think we have to fight too much for it sure there's some shared things they could have been inspirations from the snorks i'm gonna say probably not though right and i couldn't find anything that was like oh and they're gonna be bringing snorks back and like when we did weird al we were like oh we knew the weird al movie was in production with daniel radcliffe and that was like an exciting thing to talk about in contemporary culture i could not find anything now i would like to say this is where i announce i am starting a spinoff series called captain ortega's adventures wherein we (laughs) learn all about this amazing story that is pure gold that they just decided to leave for these adorable but not quite as fascinating snork creatures. (laughs) Come on, guys. Didn't know what they had. I would 100% 
provide venture capital for that series. Oh my god. You know, oh my god. The, the only other Contempo thing I have about five years ago, I was driving through the tiny town along the Columbia River of Stevenson, Washington. And I did a like a record scratch, er, double take as I hit the brakes. Because there, sitting outside on the curb, was a full-sized, perfect condition My Pet Monster. So remember the big toy, the blue, hairy monster, My Pet Monster from the 80s with the chains? This is not a thing. Your, your face isn't even moving. Yes, I'm just, I'm, I'm just sitting here wondering where this is going. Please continue. It was a vintage toy star called The Shed. And okay. so I had to pull over. I wanted to go in and see what they had going on. And at the cash register, they had Tudor and All-Star. So like the two snoring mm. PVC toys. And I think that's the last time I've actually with my own human eyes seen a physical snork out in the wild was the last time I saw one. I didn't even pick them up. I kind of regret it. I wish I had grabbed them. They're probably still there. I'm going to be perfectly honest Ooh, with you. I probably I still there. Oh, I bet I could go pick them up. I bet I could. Okay. Yeah. Hold the phone. Record scratch. I'm going to go jump in the car right now. I'm going to Stevenson. I'm going to go get All-Star and Storks. And I will meet you back in math class to let you know how fun they still are to play with and if I think the snorks hold up today. All right, let's do it. We're here to get on the seashell scales and to put some... Oh, right, we never even talked about that. To put some clams on one side because they use clams as money, which is also like mafia speak for like money, clams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To put the clams on the scale and to see how snorks hold up in 2022. I will pass this spiral shell that sort of looks like a microphone to you and let us know how you feel about this cartoon and property today. Well, Ben, I I do have to congratulate you on plucking this cartoon from a relative obscurity. Oh my goodness. As we mentioned, it's a property the internet has surprisingly little information about. Few corners of vocal fandom dedicated to it. Yeah. And as far as I could tell, shockingly few toys promoting it. Mm -hmm. You actually found more in your research than I did. For something that was supposed to have come from the mind of a merchandiser, I was, I was shocked by that. But yet, despite all that, from all accounts, the people who watch it as kids still love it. I looked at a lot of comments on those few websites where I could find some information about people's feedback, and they seem to really cherish it. And of course, I only wish we could have explored it more deeply so that I could say with certainty on, on how it holds up. I would say animation-wise, the show seems pretty on par with 80s television. Yeah. I would say the world and cast seem fairly fleshed out, as mentioned. Uh, and I do enjoy how the gang interprets outside forces from their own perspective. Again, a la kind of that dry space, their explanation of falling objects as UFOs. I thought that was a lot of fun. And as we've mentioned time and again, the lore of Captain Ortega is fire. <laughs> it is awesome. <laughs> But also it connects our world to theirs. And I only wish that had been explored further because yeah. I think there would have been like a lot of cool stuff there. I don't see the lack of availability of this show as an indication of its quality. I think it's merely how older properties are released these days. And I think this show, like many of its generation, really served best as a nostalgic anchor, that touchstone to a time in the past. I just don't think it was big enough of an anchor for that many people. Anchor, another good Mariner comment for this episode. I'm liking it. Good. You know, you're supposed to just let them go by and let people discover them on their own. <laughs> like, you've got to point them all out. It's too <laughs> much. It's too much. But I would say perhaps its legacy for me is that spite alone is not enough to create a show that endures. <laughs> Take that lesson to heart, kids. 
for something to be special, it has to be imbued with, you know, some kind of magic, something as mercurial and fathomless as the deep oceans where creatures and imaginations lurk. Nicely done. Beautiful. Poetic. Spite is not enough. Spite's great. I do not spite shame. I have done many things for spite, but it, it's, it alone cannot a wonderful show make is all I'm saying. I love that you ended it with that because that's kind of where I'm going to start too. I uh, No, I appreciate that. I, with spite? You're going to start with spite? I'm going to start with spite. Um, I mean, again, all of this is kind of hard to feel confident in my analysis of this because it's impossible to watch this show. Like unless you go order the DVDs off of Amazon and then you wait for them to show yeah. up and then you get them. So I will say I'm right with you. It, it, it does concern me a little bit that this cartoon series originated out of spite. Sort of like, see, Peo, see, I could do it on my own without you. Like, that worries me that that's sort of the spark that started all of this. Again, the Diskies were like their own little thing in that great comic strip. But if it weren't for Freddy, like, trying to prove that he could do his own Smurf thing, I don't think it would have gone beyond the comic book. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That kind of worries me. And, you know, when you watch Snorks, it doesn't take you long to be like, these are underwater Smurfs. Like, they are very different, but it is close enough that uh, I think it's one of the reasons why they struggle. And that, that concerns me. You don't need the backstory to know that it is a knockbuster. Yeah. Of the Smurfs. You don't need that backstory because everyone makes that comparison. And I'm pretty sure they don't know this whole <laughs> this whole triangle between Peo and Freddy. And, right. Uh, Broca, so yeah. I agree with you. The animation is uh, nothing to uh, toot your snork at. It's pretty par for the course in the 80s. It's yeah. it's fine, but it's not like, yeah. not that I'm a massive anime fan, but you look at like anime of the 80s and what was coming out of Japan at the time and how far behind American animation was. And it's just kind of a bummer. It, you know, this doesn't really rise to the top. Despite there being a lot more female representation in snorks there's still a good amount of gender stereotyping that happens with the women snorks like that's your vain sure. snork uh, nancy cartwright's snork is Daphne. kind of the, yeah the kind of self-absorbed snork but it's not like in your face intense problem it's way less problematic than just smurfette in smurf village right <laughs> but it's, right. it's still not perfect but that being said like again like you said the setting the variety of characters it just gives so much more variety to the story i think it had a lot more potential to go beyond 4 years that it could have mm. again an epic voice cast you've got you've got welker you've got paulson you've got cartwright um you've got some epic people voicing the characters so that keeps it really strong I love the theme song, whichever of the three plus that is. I think they're all just really catchy. I think it gets into you. So I think, you know, if this was on a streaming service, I'd be really happy. Like, I'd really enjoy watching this. If it was at my library, I'd Mm. love to go through a bunch more full episodes. I think there is some more, like, more grown-up themes there and things that are accessible for kids. You know, sort of like 90s Disney. There's something there for everybody, you know, at many Mm. levels. But uh, I think you made a really good point about, like, it's not an anchor enough of its own. Like, if you were trying to make a cartoon montage altar in your house of the 80s, if you added a snork to it, it would just, like, give it that, mm, that like, little cherry on top authenticity. <laughs> but, like, the snorks just standing on their own is, like, is, is hard as an anchor by itself. Just not strong enough. But I loved, I loved revisiting mm. it. I think they're cool. I think there's a lot of penitentials there. And if I ever do hear about a comeback, I will be very excited to go back to the reef of Snorkland. There it is. We'll have to announce it on a future episode yeah. of Amy's High. It's back, everybody. But let's put some air in our BCDs. Let's start to float back up to the top, get out of the water, shake it all off, because I want to know where are we strolling next on 80s High? 
as a non-scuba diver, I'm going to know what a BCD is. <laughs> breathing Ooh, see, something yeah, yeah, yeah. device. Breathing compartment, compression device. Breathing compression device. Actually, you're not that far off. You got device right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a, it's I a, got the lamest part of that correct. It's your okay. buoyancy compensation device. You basically like put air into a vest from your tank to make you go up or down in the water. That's basically got it. it. Okay. It's very fancy. That's the most everyone's going to learn from this episode. Okay. <laughs> so the next episode of 80s High. Where do we go from here? Well, Ben, we're not going very far, as a matter of fact. Oh. Because something uncanny is about to happen. For our next episode, we're going to be stuck, not only in time, but in space. Oh. Because we're still in 1984. Oh. And the origin story is once again from comic books. Oh, But this franchise, this franchise has a much different arc than the Snorks. Because we're going to crawl from water onto land. Excellent. And from there, we need a recipe that calls for Renaissance Italy, ninjutsu, the New York City sewer system. Oh, boy. And... Pizza. Oh, you are swinging for the fences. I'm excited. That's right. Oh, boy. On the next episode of 80s High, we're going back to the Cowabunga comics, the tubular toys, the awesome animated series, and the gnarly NES game brought to us by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, our heroes in a half shell, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, my God. Chris. (laughs) Chris, what have you done? What have you done? <laughs> You've gone from Spielberg to Turtles, for- which is basically like you should have just announced the topic is the 1980s. I mean, this is like the biggest toy and comic movement of the decade. From Snorks to TMNT, it's like going from obscurity to ubiquity. I was like, but I, you know this. I had to schedule this in advance because we're going to have a guest on with us. Oh, right. And I had to roll the dice. And so when you announced the Snorks, I was like, okay, we're going to kind of stick in this realm. But I think it's going to be okay, of course, because we're going to have so much to talk about. There's so many different properties related. There's too many, quite frankly, to fit into an episode. But I'm really excited because I think this is another one of those things that if you say, tell me about the 80s, no one's like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But when you mention them, they're like, oh, of course. So I think it's right there at the cusp. And I'm so looking forward to talking about the toys, the show, that terrible NES game. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, in perfect time for Thanksgiving, the cornucopia of Ninja Turtles IP that just showered upon our nostalgia. It's great. All right, everyone. We'll polish off that bow staff, those nunchucks, the sigh. What's the other one? Katanas, right? Yeah, katanas. katanas. And tighten your eye masks because we're heading to the sewers on the next episode, Ben. Of Totally Radical Cowabunga Bodacious 80s High. Bodacious, dude! Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical!